The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am honored to welcome my guest, Ms. Andrea Lieberstein. She is a fellow registered dietitian who holds a master's of public health degree. She is also a registered yoga instructor. She has been teaching mindfulness meditation since 1993 and leads mindfulness and mindful eating retreats and trainings internationally. She has been a mindfulness-based eating awareness trainer, and she teaches mindfulness practices, maintains a local and virtual private practice, and was a leader in developing and implementing mindfulness and mind-body-spirit programs at Kaiser Permanente, Northern California, for over 20 years. She was also a consultant and instructor in mindful eating with the University of California, San Francisco, Osher Center for Integrative Medicine. She is the author of a terrific book that I have here with me titled Well Nourished, Mindful Practices to Heal Your Relationship with Food, Feed Your Whole Self, and End Overeating. She was also a presenter at the most recent Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics meeting in Washington, D.C. this fall. Welcome, Andrea. It's wonderful to have you with me. Thank you, Melinda. It's wonderful to be here. Well, I have to ask, you know, since we're both registered dietitians, how is it that you followed a path that incorporated mindfulness into your practice? Yeah, that's a great question. I was very interested at a young age in the connection between mind and body and how that enhanced our experience of well-being in life, our, our connection to self. I was also very interested in food as medicine and food as healing. So that approach rather than food as, okay, what can I restrict right. <laughs> so that I can reach the perfect weight? Right. So my path just led me, I, I actually started meditating years ago around the time of you know, late high school years and early college years and discovered mindfulness at mindfulness meditation along with my interest in, in mind-body. And it's kind of a, it's a big question, so just to kind of give you the, the short answer of that. So I became a mindfulness-based stress reduction instructor in the early 1990s. I helped bring that to Kaiser Permanente and other mind-body programs and I originally came to that organization overseeing several nutrition programs, but I did have this really this passionate interest in the mind-body connection. So my work began to shift towards this bigger perspective of how do we live a well-nourished life, incorporating all aspects mm-hmm. of the best that we know about with the mind-body traditions, meditative traditions, science, positive psychology, all of that, nutrition. And so fast forward to about 10 years ago, I became an instructor and a consultant in this mindful eating study at UCSF. 
And that was just this kind of pinnacle, a, a, a culminating pearl of the work that I had been doing for years in the mind-body field and bringing nutrition in too. But it was all about our relationship to food and eating, to ourselves, to our bodies, bringing together mindfulness and eating. Mm-hmm. And so since then, I've been really focusing pretty solely on mindful eating and living a well-nourished life with mindfulness as the base, because it is such a powerful agent of change. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting, you know, you've got degrees from both Stanford University and the University of California, Berkeley. And I'm assuming those are your degrees in nutrition and public health. Mm-hmm. When you were going through your training programs, was there any mention of mindful eating practice when you were studying nutrition? Oh, no, I, I laugh because, um, no, I actually felt way back then, I felt a little bit like a bird out of water or out of, um, what's the expression? A fish out of water. A fish out of water or a bird out of the sky. Right. (laughs) Because I was so interested in in my body, the interconnection in food as medicine. And that was, we didn't have a lot of research or know a lot about that in the science-based world, in the evidence-based world at that time. So I remember writing my master's thesis was on food as medicine, and there was very little that I could find. There was a lot of research at that time in healthy lifestyles and the prevention of cardiovascular disease. Right. So that was the closest kind of integrative approach. Right. And I think Dean Ornish might have been the first physician to fold meditation into his really heart-healing methods of community classwork with his patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That was groundbreaking. Well, this is just so interesting because I remember when I was going through my master's training, I had a chance to learn about affirming through an institute called the Omega Institute. And like you, I had this light bulb go off where I thought, we need to be folding in much more of mind-body connection in our counseling with our patients rather than simply, you know, here's your diet plan, here are how many calories you need. Eating is so much more than that. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm curious to know, I think maybe we should back up a little bit and just define for myself and our listeners, how would you define mindful eating exactly? So... Mindful eating is, and there's many different aspects of it. It's bringing awareness, bringing awareness to the whole act of eating, to our relationship to food. And because it goes beyond just what we eat, it's our relationship to our thoughts. Our thoughts can flavor our experience of eating and the kinds of choices that we make. They can cause us to turn against ourselves when we eat certain foods, right, and beat ourselves up for having foods that we think we shouldn't be eating. For many people, that can lead to a cascade of overeating and feeling like they've trespassed over a line that the foods they shouldn't have. Mindful eating is about bringing awareness to our experience of eating, to the thoughts, the feelings, the beliefs, to what we're bringing to the table. 
So that food can truly, it can be a truly nourishing experience for us. There's a lot of subtle beliefs. Even if, you know, any of the listeners here think, oh, I don't have any problems with food, they start to notice what they're bringing. They might notice there's kind of ubiquitous languaging and thoughts that we have around food. Even mm-hmm. on the one end, just, oh, I shouldn't have had that, <laughs> you know, or I was bad, or I was good, all the judgments. So what is flavoring our experience of eating food and also bringing mindfulness to the choices, knowing what, knowing enough about healthy eating, evidence-based nutrition, which does slightly change over time, and your relationship to it. What works for your body? What helps you feel balanced, good, energized? So that checking in, so mindful eating is also that interceptive awareness of how does this make me feel? How does this work for me? Rather than just going by this latest diet, mm-hmm. this prescription here or that prescription, it's awareness of of hunger and fullness, satisfaction, satiety. As I mentioned, our, our emotions that might we might be bringing to the table. You know, what are we eating out of? Is it physical hunger? Is it habit? Is it sadness, anger, or boredom? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so then, and what environmental factors are impacting our eating? So we just learn to bring through the cultivation of mindfulness uh, a way of making choices that are the most nourishing for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, as I was reading through your book, I realized so many reasons why we turn to food and food is used to fill so many voids. And you mentioned some of those just recently where it might be loneliness, it might be boredom, it might be that we're procrastinating, it might be that we're not getting enough sleep and that we're tired and we're eating to stay awake longer. And I think part of mindful eating relies on us being aware first of why we might be turning to food. And then you give great examples of how to work through that and find alternative activities to fill that void that it's not really food that we need, but other ways to satisfy the void. Mm-hmm. Yes. So learning to be able, learning this practice of mindfulness, this kind, compassionate way to be with ourselves, curious attention. What's happening? You know, what am I bringing to the table? What is it that I really need? And it may not be food. That could very be a habit, or the other, you know, the other reasons that we were talking about that we eat. Ways to maybe the habit of using food as pleasure to comfort, to soothe, to just numb out and not feel. But it may be other things that we're really needing. So, and that can help with that when we learn to nourish ourselves in other ways. So. So, yeah, so the book, we talk about living a well-nourished life and what are the other aspects of nourishment. And I, I call them the eight bodies. Yeah, let's go through those. Nourishment. Yeah, let's go through those eight bodies because I thought that was a great way to describe all of our needs. Yes, it's a, it's a nice way to frame all these different needs. And, and I use the analogy of where... We're, we're like the master chefs of our lives, and we create our own. Each of us has our own unique recipe and ingredients that we uh, need to feel to fill 
and feel in our life that we're living a well-nourished life. So one life is not going to look the same as another. So the eight bodies, and I have this lovely image in my book of eight petals Mm -hmm. in a bowl, and how do we want to fill our lives, our well-nourished bowl? And so the eight bodies are one is the physical, which we, you know, we probably read the most about need to exercise and move and eat well and get enough sleep. And all these things are very important and foundational to our well-being. And with mindful eating, we also learn how we can eat in a way that is nourishing. And then there's the emotional body and the different ways that we can learn to nourish ourselves emotionally without food, needing Mm -hmm. to nourish. I mean, food can be absolutely a beautiful source of nourishment and we can enjoy it without the guilt and the shame and we can learn to do that through mindful eating. But we can also nourish from the inside out with qualities that we can cultivate and there's a lot of research on how these qualities improve our health and well-being, emotional, cognitive, physical. So qualities such as gratitude, loving kindness, self-compassion. We can learn to cultivate these, kind of fill up our well from the inside out, be more resilient. We have on the psychological body, which is really like how we navigate the challenging thoughts and feelings that might arise with mindfulness, to be able to not be in the middle live in the middle of those challenging thoughts. And we sometimes call that ruminating, thinking over and over about worrying about certain issues, whatever it might be, or challenging emotions. But how do we navigate those skillfully so that we can rest more in a place of peace and balance, mm-hmm. even as we may have those thoughts? And there's all kinds of ways to work skillfully with these thoughts and feelings so they don't overtake us. But we can dwell more in that place of clear seeing through mindfulness and make choices that are nourishing for ourselves. And we have the social body. And, and we know that social connection is really important for nourishment and, and health and well-being through research. And just we know that through our own personal experience. So looking at how am I being nourished now socially? Is this an area that I've really let go because I'm just focusing so much, you know, on work, whatever it might be? And actually, each chapter in the book is about an exploration. And as I say, these listeners can think about in their own lives, an exploration of how nourished am I and, and what might be missing and what are some steps I could take to start to fill these areas? Social also includes connection with ourselves. So mindfulness can help with that, too, and loving-kindness practice, self-compassion practice. But there's all kinds of fun ways that we can increase all of these bodies. It doesn't have to be serious. I think that levity is important in that, you know, putting on our mindful explorer hats. Let's take one break here and remind our listeners that if you are just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, where my guest is Ms. Andrea Lieberstein. She is a fellow registered dietitian. She holds a master's in public health. She is also a registered yoga instructor and a mindfulness-based registered dietitian and author of Well Nourished, Mindful Practices to Heal Your Relationship with Food, Feed Your Whole Self, and End Overeating. And we are going through the 
eight bodies that Ms. Lieberstein explains in her book in great detail. We just finished with the fourth body, which is social nourishment. The fifth is intellectual nourishment. Would you like to say anything about that? Uh, Sure. So intellectual nourishment is wide and broad what that could be for each person. So that could be learning about new things. It could be going to cultural events, music. There's really an overlap with the creative body, too. And we know that actually intellectual stimulation contributes to greater brain and cognitive health over a lifetime. And intellectual pursuits can lift mood and increase feelings of connection to ourselves, to others. Often they're done in engagement with community. So is that something that is missing in our lives? That sometimes, you know, we turn to food because we're feeling this lack of being nourished intellectually or Mm -hmm. any of the bodies that we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. social nourishment, connection. And then the next body is the creative body which was one of my favorite chapters (laughs) to write about. I I actually enjoyed writing about all of these, but the creative body can include how are we living our lives. We can live our lives as art. We can create beauty around us. Our environments can be creative. Are there projects in your life? Do you have a creative drive to write, to dance, to whatever it might be that's being unfulfilled at this time? You know, is there frustration that's going into eating? So really with all these different aspects, if we're not nourished well or fulfilled with what we individually need, that can actually turn, if we have that habit of turning to food for pleasure and nourishment, that can add to that. So it's so helpful to start to look at each of these bodies and How can I create, you know, this well-nourished life? So the next body is the spiritual and what that and some sense of connection to something greater to oneself, whatever that means. And for some people, that may be just being out in nature. For others, it may be actually could be through dance that that a person gets that that sense of connection or going to a traditional, belonging to a traditional religious community or a more spiritual community. But how is spirituality expressing in your life? And is that an area that feels kind of dried up right now if you neglected that? Mm -hmm. And then the worldly body is that part of ourselves, how we engage with the world. Are we feeling nourished? Are we in touch with our sense of passion and -hmm. purpose? Are we engaged in contributing in some way to the world that's connected with that? And that might be simply being very involved with the family or grandchildren. That might be starting a nonprofit, a global nonprofit. Mm-hmm. That's different for anybody, but all of these things are important to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I think of people who don't have their basic needs met yet or for people who are living in poverty and have a different relationship with food. You know, when we have all of our needs met, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, when we have all of our basic needs met, then we can start looking to some of these other voids, like, well, gosh, do I have a, a purpose in the world? And how can I serve my greater community? But from what I'm seeing, 
from a national perspective is so many people are falling below, say, a $30,000 income annually, living at or near poverty or below. And I know that there are struggles with food in all socioeconomic levels, but it's a little bit different, isn't it, when you're dealing with perhaps a, a population that is really struggling financially or with other psychological problems where food becomes, food is seen through a little bit of a different coping lens. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit to that issue. Yeah, Melinda, that's really a great point to bring up. And I actually address that a little bit in the book. I mentioned the hierarchy of needs, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. And a very interesting international study that was done that showed that to start to fulfill some of these other levels in our lives, we don't actually have to have all of our basic needs met. Mm. That concurrently, people, this again was looked at, looking at groups internationally, might not have all their basic needs met, but were able to still fulfill some of these different areas. Mm-hmm. And of course, social, community, there might just be opportunity for some of them, there are just a few of them. Yeah, I agree. But it's not mutually exclusive. Like yeah. We don't, yeah, for those that don't know that pyramid, it's we have to have our basic needs met before we kind of move on to reaching our higher potential. Right. You, yeah. You have been doing international mindful-based eating programs for years. And one of the questions that popped into my mind as I was reading through your book was, what do you think people are hungriest for? Mm, it's, such, it's such a great question. And I want to just touch on, just go back to the one you just asked. Mm-hmm. What can people do at different socioeconomic levels and, you know, in terms of, of their relationship to food? And so anybody can start to just tune in to the different foods that you're choosing and how do they impact you? How do you feel? Well, you're eating before and after, and look at within what you can access. There's not always as much fresh fruits and vegetables in certain areas, but we know that frozen fruits and vegetables actually maintain most of the same nutritional value. And so just start to experiment with bringing in more of a range of foods and, and really, yeah, check in with what helps to contribute to your well-being. Well, so that's a short, as it could be such a longer answer, but yeah. Yeah, so getting back to my question, if you were asked, what do you find that people are hungriest for, yes. how would you answer that question? Okay, well, how I would answer that, and it, it's particularly the lens I work with a lot of people that are are struggling with food or focusing on food as, as a distraction, as a source main source of pleasure or just to kind of numb out and not feel, or just overeating, just simple overeating in general, I think it's it's several things. It's certainly love and connection, feeling that sense of connection to oneself, that everything is okay, and also compassion, self-compassion is huge because beneath the layer of our our thoughts that that come and go there is this place that we discover through mindfulness practice where we're just we're just pure awareness natural awareness this place of peace mhm but 
we have all these thoughts that society helps support, unfortunately, that we're not enough. Right. We fall short. We're never going to be good enough. And these kinds, I ate too much, I blew it, or my body's not okay. In many ways, you know, the culture contributes to all this. Right. And different issues than a long time ago. People think it's their own really internal hell, I will say, because that's how people experience it. Some do. It's actually societal. There's so many similar thoughts that people have. Learning to recognize them, that they're not true. We don't have to believe all our thoughts. Yeah. And learning to practice self-compassion and kindness for ourselves. This is one of the biggest turning points that yeah. I see when people can start to develop this kind way of being, kind and loving way of being with themselves. And of course, that translates then to how they are with others too. Yeah, this should start to happen. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that's one of the biggest gifts. You know, we're talking about holiday season and launching into the new year. And I think one of the biggest gifts that we can give ourselves, starting with self-compassion and then compassion for others. But I asked you that question about what people are hungriest for, because I think we've probably both had decades of experience in working with people around food and health, and I would agree with you that most people are hungriest for a relationship. And even in low-income communities, anytime we can bring people together to organize, maybe for better wages or better living conditions, or organize around a community garden and get affordable food then, because we're growing it ourselves then that also goes to helping to develop those relationships. So you've got many examples in your book about ways to develop self-love and compassion and compassion for others. And I, I love that about your book. Your book is really more like a workbook to reach those goals. But I just wanted to throw that in there because I, I think we share a lot of the same perspectives on that. Mm, yes, it's so important. Yep. And we do see that as, as we work with people over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we just have a couple of minutes, and I want to give you a chance to share with our listeners anything in particular that you would like to bring forth from this book. Well, like you said, it is like a workbook style. So it gives that opportunity to learn about minds leading, to start to bring awareness to what you're maybe bringing to the table and a way to work through with five steps to living a life of more nourishment, of true nourishment, of what you're really hungry for. And lots of ideas, lots of fun ideas, ways to support those changes using the latest in behavioral science and positive psychology and mindfulness. And then I want to mention, if the listeners are interested, that there are all kinds of retreats that I offer mindful eating retreats and and training retreats in this way of eating and just exploring nourishment. So that's available, too, to support this journey. And that website is www.yourwellnourishedlife.com. And unfortunately, our time is up, so I'm going to have to close. But in closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Andrea Lieberstein, 
Masters of Public Health, Registered Dietitian, and Registered Yoga Therapist, who is a mindfulness-based registered dietitian and author of Well Nourished, Mindful Practices to Heal Your Relationship with Food, Feed Your Whole Self, and End Overeating. I highly recommend this kind of approach as we enter the new year, as opposed to picking up the next fad diet book. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thank you so much, Melinda. Melinda. 